Really, I'm happy to uh, introduce you a couple of people. I've got a co-host today, Justin Jesso. Thank you, Hi. Justin. Thanks for having me. Some of you guys may know of Justin's work with Kygo, a little song called Stargazing. It did quite well. Did anyway, okay. thanks for co-hosting with me today. Of course. And this wonderful guest today, uh, staring at the ceiling. <laughs> it's distracting a little, isn't it? No, I was just like, wait, is that... Happening now? That okay, is happening got it. about five seconds ago. Word, yeah. okay. Everyone, uh, please welcome Sid. Hi. From such fame as the future <laughs> and the internet, and probably uh, Daniel and some of the other projects you've worked on. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> so I'm really excited to have you here today. I think this episode and this conversation today is going to be a little different than some of the other conversations we've had. Um, we focus in on voice, voice production, voice development, you know, um, music business, and a lot of the different things that goes into giving singers information and advice and guidance. So, you know, we've got, with Vocalize You and some of the other things we do, there's all these singers around the world who are sometimes in the middle of nowhere, right? And sort of wondering how they get into the business, how they how this works for them, how the, the business works or being a singer is in general mm -hmm. and um, it, it's you know I know growing up in southern Utah in the middle of nowhere um, I didn't know you were from Utah yeah in the middle of nowhere <laughs> I mean, there was um, there was 60 people in the town I grew up in and it was 18 miles from school and it was wow. literally have you ever been to Utah no no I don't think so it's really beautiful but they were as happy for me to leave as I was happy. <laughs> I'm not a small town guy, but anyway, this town's right at the base of the Bryce Canyon, uh, Canyon Cliffs and oh, okay. all that sort of stuff, and it's beautiful. But I always just like I just want to be in music. I have no idea how the hell do you? It seems like this big fortress that I'm not allowed in, right? Yeah. And so being there's a lot of gatekeepers, there's a, you know. There's a lot of gatekeepers, but. There's kind of less gatekeepers now. You can do yeah. your own thing, but that also means there's no standard. Right, right. There's right. a ton of people out there doing their thing. It's really demand-driven right now. Yeah. You know? By the fans. Yes. Right. Which is great as an artist that you can go straight to fans. Yes. But then, you know, there's, there's definitely a, a place where, like, having capital comes into play and... And so well, yeah. it can be very hard. Like, I got lucky with my situation. I kind of piggybacked off of Odd Future and got a record deal that way. Um, which I don't, I don't think anyone's going to be able to do that, really, again. You know what I mean? It's changed so much. Yeah, since what, then. How old were you when you first got your deal with Columbia? Uh, 18. 18. Or I just turned 19. But Odd Future, you were like 14 or something? 16. 16. Well, we started working together when I was about 16. All right. So, but Odd Future was signed, no? Or were they just mm -mm. straight to fans? No, we the Odd Future wasn't wasn't that big outside of Los Angeles at the time. Really? Yeah. And it's gotten bigger since. Well, so two thousand eight or nine, uh, two thousand eight, they released like their first mixtape, which I had nothing to do with. 
And then about 2009, they had started coming to record at my house because I built a studio in my, my room, or my guest house. And um, I think I was around, I think I mixed, mixed, mastered like eight or nine projects for them. And over how the did course you learn to mix and master? Just doing it? YouTube. Really? Yeah, I just, just, I got obsessed with it. But I mean, how do you, how could you tell if the, I mean, most kids go to school and somebody hears the, hears it and goes, see, that's what you're trying to listen for. That's what, that's, that's the sound. You just like, this is what I like and this is the EQing I like and you just yeah. figure that out on your own? Yeah, I mean, the, for one, I, I was working with artists who really knew what they wanted and that makes everything easier. Easy. So I was working with Tyler, you know, pretty much every project and he was always about make the bass as loud as possible without distorting it. Mm -hmm. And we're good, <laughs> you know. And make my voice not sound so like nasty, because he—I don't think he likes his voice that much. But um, <laughs> so that just became my priority. I would go test it in the speakers in my car. Sorry. I was recording with um, and and mixing with like these little like M Audio speakers, cheap little five-inch speakers, mm -hmm. no sub or anything, which is probably for the best and then we'll go test it in my car go back in the studio and like just till I got it sounding as close to the professional recordings that were coming out of like the major studios um, but I also was going to Hamilton High School Hamilton Music Academy yeah. where I was in a music technology class and I got to bounce a lot of ideas off of my teacher there did you that helped you sort of get the sound in your ears so you knew what you were looking for? Honestly, no. Um, that class we mo we mostly focused on the history of music technology. So uh, we 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 had to do a whole report on how the Beatles made Sgt. Pepper's. And this was at Hamilton. Yeah. Really? Yeah, it was a music tech class. So we we learned how to use Reason. We learned how to use Pro Tools. Um, but mostly we were studying the history of the technology of music, like the first microphones and the first two-track recorders and then 24-track recorders and, and how everything plugs into and basic signal flow shit that I kind of already knew. Mm -hmm. from how old were you? You were stuff. like 14, 15 learning this? Well, it sounds like that's step... I had no idea Hamilton had that. That sounds like step one, two, three, and four. Go on YouTube, figure out how to do it. Learn one of the DAWs. <laughs> right. Check the speakers in your car. Right. <laughs> you know, and study the greats. Exactly. I mean, that's basically, hey guys, if you're out there. <laughs> yeah, just, just study. Um, yeah. The, the beautiful thing about growing up in an age of technology is that the answers are there. Um, you don't need to go to school to learn a lot of this stuff. It is amazing know? what's on YouTube. Yeah, it is. My dad, actually, I remember in high school, I wanted to go to like a a music college or something. I wanted to go to like an engineering school. My dad was like, no "Don't do it." For that, I went. Yeah, my dad. My dad. He he was like, I mean, if you want, but like, sounds like you already know how to do what they're gonna teach you, mm -hmm. or you can learn more yourself for free. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so so I went to NYU. Went to the Clive Davis Department of Recording oh, Music. Oh well, that's like legit. I was talking about like I don't know. Like, I mean, am I? but but that funnily enough, when I did my first interview for them on Skype, they said because I was in the industry at the time, 
and I'd been doing some things with Disney and I was on the road and, and they said to me, well, you can learn everything that you can learn in this school by doing it, right. being in the industry, having that experience, why do you want to come here? And what, <laughs> I, what I didn't realize at the time was the reason I wanted to come there was for the camaraderie of being around people and kids who love to do... And that was in New York, right? And that was in New York, yeah. Yeah. who love to do what I love to do. But for you, you know, with your story, you kind of had that built in already. Yeah, I got that. One, like, when I was about 14, MySpace was really popular, and MySpace music was even more popular for kids like me. Mm-hmm. And so I was just on MySpace music all day and night after school, um, finding other artists my age, local artists who... I was inspired by him, and um, Tyler was one of those people. Um, mm-hmm. I loved his beats. Because back then he wasn't really rapping, he was just producing, producing. and doing graphic design stuff. Really? And so, yeah, so I was, I was a fan of that, more so. And so there was a whole MySpace music, like interlinked connection here between the people under like 18. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, this is at the time also like jerking, the jerk movement got really popular and that came out of my school. Oh wow, out of okay. Hamilton? Yeah. I read that you also went to Pali. I did. It was not fun? Not very noteworthy, no. It was very sad <laughs> times. Did they, any, didn't they have any music over there? Or? No, not really. They had a guitar class, I took that. Okay. But it was one semester. My brother-in-law was the coach over there. Oh. Football coach over there until last year. Oh, it was, word. It's a funny place. There's a lot of politics and a lot of... It's, it's a very sports-driven school. Is it? Yeah, it mm. was not an arts-driven school. Hmm. Um, and when I, fr- like, when I was in eighth grade, I wanted to play basketball. But by the time I got to ninth grade, over the summer, I was kind of like studying more on Mm. my own. Not because I was taking lessons, but like I was bored at home and I picked up my mom's old guitar and decided to like... Your parents are both in music. No. um, Your your mom wanted to be a DJ. Yeah, she wanted to be a DJ. She wanted to be an engineer, really. Really? Yeah. Like a sound engineer. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But... um, What does she do now? Uh, nothing, nothing really. She I, takes I, care of you. Yeah, she <laughs> takes care of the crib. I um, I like to think that I've been able to lighten her load on that note. So yeah. she helps me with some of the stuff I'm doing. Um, I'm doing a uh, charity, a lot of charity stuff right now that she's helping me with. So Are you? she's setting up a Poshmark account, um, and I'm gonna be selling a lot of like designer stuff. Old designer stuff from me, from my brother, from my friends. Um, we're gonna donate all that to Cherry. So she's running yes. that because she sells, she um, sells vintage clothes on Poshmark in her spare time. Yeah. Do you have a cause specifically that you're excited about that you're gonna donate the money to? No, not with this one. But I am uh, getting ready to launch an eBay uh, for charity auction. Cool. That will be going, those proceeds are going to go to a, a foundation called uh, Flint for Flint. And it's about getting clean water to households in Flint, yeah, Michigan. It's, yeah, definitely worthy. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of weird to bring it up now because I think a lot of people have forgotten yeah. that they I still not. don't have yeah. clean That's water. That's probably why it's important explosions. now to talk about it. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's a lot. But, um, so yeah, she helps me out with that stuff. My dad... Um, my dad, I can't, I don't really know exactly what he does, but he Maybe it's best works. you don't. No, it's like, it's legit. He works I'm with, totally he, he works with um, uh, factories in China. 
and manufacturing. I'm going things. back to maybe as best you don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's legit. Like he he um he's in China a few times a year. He owns a company that so he's importing. Um, yeah, import yeah. export. They make like toys and um, silver. Where he works, he has like a line of silverware. He's working on. He's got like baby dolls and stuff. Pet. Beds, random like a lot of random stuff. Need some pet beds. He's uh yeah he's got a company and a partner in China and yeah. I've actually heard that's that does quite well. well I had some friends yeah. try to do that for a little he's bit. He's in the business of like mass production, you yeah. know. Whereas a lot of people nowadays are all about exclusivity and uh like he's there's reaching. only 150 of these made. Like he's like no I don't want to do it unless I can make a hundred thousand. Yeah. Products. We all need pet beds, you know, and weird baby baby dolls. Baby doll. He works a lot with like Marshalls, TJ Maxx, Target, Ross. Right on. Um, But his brother actually is a reggae producer. In. In Jamaica. In Jamaica. So I I um, grew up just kind of being inspired by my uncle Mikey. you know, going to Jamaica a couple of times when I was a kid and like getting to hang out at the studio all week was really cool yeah. and um, made me kind of reconsider like what I wanted to do with my future. So, we, the bug hit you around 14, yeah. right over the summer. Yeah, yeah. And singing was not part of the bug. No, <laughs> no. I um I wanted to be a producer. I just wanted to make beats. Um, but I was really not confident in my abilities as a producer, and so I, I got more into engineering. That was something that was, I figured, I can figure this out, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, this is like, you know, there's there's a lot of artistic expression to mixing and, and engineering, you know, and editing, but for the most part, if you learn how to do this right. stuff... It's a technical puzzle as opposed to techni- creative, like right. anything in the world goes. Right, yeah. so I, I learned how to use logic and reason, and I, I learned how to make the beats, but my ideas I just wasn't very confident in and wasn't very... Um, didn't have enough inspiration around me to focus on that, and so I started focusing on engineering. Are you confident now? Yeah, a little bit more. <laughs> but more, but just, <laughs> just, with, just a little bit more. Just with myself, like I, now I'm. I want to produce for myself. I, I've, yeah. I've not given up, but I've kind of put to the side the whole goal of producing for everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, because like not too long ago, I finally like got a beat to somebody kind of big, but then they wrote a song to it that I wasn't feeling like that. And I was like, well, dang, maybe I don't want to produce for, maybe I should just produce for myself because then I can control. Can you talk specifics on that? Uh, not really. (laughs) Okay. So I feel, I can't say who it was. I feel the opposite way because you know, I don't, I I don't try to produce. Mm. I do a little bit, but as a songwriter, I'm always, or as an artist, I'm always sending my songs to people and getting productions back, and I'm always disappointed with them. Mm. So I, I feel like the complete opposite, which is right. why I would love to produce for myself or for other people so that I could have more control. Right. Yeah. And that's a beautiful thing. I, I, um, I've noticed these days a lot of producers tend to overproduce, and, mm-hmm. and I think like less can be more in in so many ways. Like when I made my solo album. Um, 
you know, I'm, I'm signed to a major, so they always, you know, the way they're used to doing things is like, oh, okay, you wrote the song, let me send it back to the producer and have him add stuff. And I don't like when you add stuff after mm -hmm. I wrote the song. Like, that's one of my biggest pet peeves with um, producers. Makes them come back and it's a wall of sound. Right, like, or they've not... changed the drum pattern mm -hmm. or something. And you're like, or no, that was part of it. they've changed the whole chord yeah. progression. I'm like, I wrote my stuff the based specifically on to have the sound. all of these. Like, yeah. <laughs> I think I write like a dancer, you know what I mean? So I need all of those nuances to stay where they are. Yeah. You can add some, like, little... Some synths, some pads on top, some sprinkles, yeah. but like leave the bass line, like leave the drums. Um, so I totally, I, I feel that. And and with my solo album, I had to undo some, like I, you know, my A&R basically has a very easy job. <laughs> he just, as long as he, he just says okay. Yeah. yeah, just just don't. Don't get in the way. Because I yeah, ran into the same thing it. with mine. It's you know, I'll send him something and he'll be like, I had a conversation with him the other day where I have five songs that I love, and he has two of the songs are matched up, and the other three are the other songs that he's just like, well, where, why isn't it my art? Right. You know, so how do you deal with that? How do you do? You just tell the guy, hey, this is what's gonna be, or do you yeah. feel like there's a pushback? Um. Well, I think it. It's it, it was different in the beginning of my career. Um, we were a lot more, um, what's the word? We really hated criticism a lot more in the beginning. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. But that's not uncommon. See, I'm the op I feel like I'm the opposite. Right now <laughs> I'm totally open. I'm like, oh, maybe the A&R knows something that I don't. Because I'm at the beginning of my career and they've done it before right. for whoever mm. else. And so I'm trying to listen with open ears as opposed to, but also trying to make sure that I don't turn this off. Right, you know? and, and that's and that's the, you gotta find that balance of being open-minded and open to suggestion. Right. But as you have more experience, you also know when to stand back. You also have people on that level and you now can start to trust them because you have the experience of these people on that level and you know you can stand back. It's, it's really specific though, you know what I mean? I think the, the part of the industry, one one part of the industry that's broken and is changing, is the A and Ring facet of it, and and just the major label structure in general. Mm -hmm. Because how do you know, think that's getting fixed? How do you see that getting fixed? Uh, I don't really, but um, I I I think you know the issue is that you get signed and they assign you to someone. Mm -hmm. You don't go and interview these people. You no. know what I mean? They like, show up and you're like, they're like, I'm your A and R. Right. Like, oh, okay. You're like, hey, I'm your project manager. <laughs> yes. And you're like, oh, oh, okay. And you want to assume that they actually like your music, but sometimes they don't. Mm -hmm. And they, but that's their job. They have to market your album, and they don't even fit into your demographic. So it's it's hard, I think, for someone outside of your market to market you mm -hmm. a yeah. lot of times, but. In labels, that's how it goes. You get your A&R. You don't get to vet anybody necessarily. Like, mm -hmm. and le like me, like I just got a new project manager right. at my label because I like the term project manager. That's what they call them. <laughs> really? But yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's basically huh. the um, marketing manager, mm -hmm. the guy who oversees the marketing team, mm -hmm. or the girl. Mm -hmm. I got a girl now mm -hmm. who actually f listened to my music Does she already. Get it? Um, she's she's a lot like me. She's um, early thirties. She's black. She's 
you know, queer. She's um, she likes R and B, and she um, so she, fits she has the a law degree for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and um, and I feel like we'd hang out if we weren't um, enemies. <laughs> right, right. That's probably important, the beauty, though. The beauty there is, is a that she knows she that. knows how I feel. Yeah. Like when I met her, it was at a festival not too long ago, and she's new to the label. They just hired this whole Columbia just hired a whole urban Team. department. Yeah. There never was one before, and which I, is interesting. It's not based here, right? That's New York. New York. Yeah. So um, how is it? How is it being in a system like Columbia, where you've got a new head? Someone just took over. It's a totally new regime. I mean, I guess it seems like it it's worked out because they're serving what you do. We'll see. I if mean, they're into you or they just, you know, because that's the other thing is the issue when they bring in a whole new team is mm -hmm. they usually say, okay, well, let's handpick that, let's handpick that and everything else. I mean, my, that's what makes my situation so unique is that I never got signed for my music mm -hmm. in the first place. I got my first deal as being a DJ. I had never released music. I'd released one song in my whole life by the time I got a record deal. Mm -hmm. um, no one ever expected me to release music. <laughs> um, I was just, you know, I was just part of the package. And so the A&R who signed me was really just trying to sign Tyler and a few of the other guys. Mm -hmm. um, and so we had to prove ourselves in a lot of aspects um, until we got our last album under that deal was Grammy nominated and then they were like, oh, well maybe we should re-sign them, you know? Got so it. then we re-signed. So now I have two record deals at Columbia, one for my band and one for me by myself. Um, so, so one with the internet mm -hmm. and then one with you completely on your own. Yeah, oh. a solo deal. And, um, and that, those deals, I, you know, I was signed by my current A&R, which is nice, and I, like, he's someone that I hang out with, mm -hmm. regardless, um, so I, I like that, you know what I mean, um, and we got a new urban department, so we got two new heads of the urban department, we got a couple people under them, um, and they're basically really trying to, because all the, it seems like a lot of the urban artists on Columbia, um, are unhappy and ready to leave and so is that a lot just of because these, they haven't had a department that gets it yes yeah I would say yeah you know um, and Columbia I think is such a big company that for the most part I think they they just they've been they've been doing it a certain way for so long um, they're I don't know I don't know I think you know they're they're clearly ready for a change because they've hired they all these it. new yeah. people and and when I met these new people, I told them that I was ready to leave. And they were like, oh, oh <laughs> we, we just got here. And I was yeah. like, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's clearly not about you guys. Don't worry. It's nothing personal. I'm not very happy with my situation here. So I'm excited to get this album out and go. And, and now they're kind of like, okay, well, we're going to try to do our best on your next project because... We listen to your music anyway, and we'll see how that all goes. Because the what I've learned recently is that even if your marketing manager, your project manager is your number one fan, they have a boss. Yeah, of course. And they can only do as much work as their boss allows. Yeah. So even if my new project manager is like, yo, I want to open a hundred thousand dollar budget and and go radio and do da da. 
It's got to get approved. Yeah, yeah. it's got to get approved by their boss. Well, I think the reverse is true, too. If you have a guy at the top who signs you who's really, really into it, but the guy who's working your project doesn't really care, mm. then it's it, it's got to be aligned the, all no, the way their through. boss can make them care, though. Yeah. That's what I've realized. Like, there's a lot of artists. Um, there are a lot of artists out there who, like, just let's be real. No, nobody at the label's listening to them, mm-hmm. but they're keeping the lights on in the building. So mm-hmm. they have to they have to dedicate a certain amount of time and resources to, to that artist and that artist's projects. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting, you know, even... I guess for the future right now, you're just going to have to sit back and wait and see how... Yeah, and, that, and the beauty of it is, like, it's becoming more demand-based, and, and if if there's a big demand for, for your music or whatever, then you'll be okay. Cream of the crop yeah. rises to the top, you yeah. know? So they can put all this money into an artist, but if the artist doesn't have fans, doesn't have real fans, right? If it's like, if it's a fleeting kind of, they're not engaged, trend, they're not with you, right? Or there's other things that are going into it, bots and stuff, right? Which is ironic because a lot of these these artists who are keeping the lights on per se, they get signed to these long deals, these multiple albums. And it makes no sense because these are the exact artists that people bring up when they say, oh, they won't be around in another five, ten years, you know? Mm-hmm. And yet they've yeah. signed them for that long. Typically, yeah. you know? Huh. They're trying, you know, it's it's all incentivized. Everything is incentivized. And so you have to give them incentives. So what me and my band, we've tried to do always is just disregard them, focus more on, like, our art, our artistic integrity, and um, being good people, good humans, um, and we've built this kind of, uh, we've built a strong foundation. Sure. Yeah. You know? I think we could go on a hiatus and come back in ten years, and people would be waiting for something. Yeah. Just those core people, you know what I yeah. mean? And and that's all we ever wanted out of the internet, our band in the first place. Did you guys so. get a lot of radio play? Mm-mm. No. Just on um, uh, Sirius. On Sirius? We did get a lot on Sirius, and uh, KJLH plays, uh, plays us. No. But generally speaking, nationwide, your fans are more because they're engaged in the live, the live experience. And I guess so. Yeah. Well, unless I think I think we also offer music that doesn't sound like anyone else's. Totally. And so there's only one place you can go to to get. Well, which that. is also if it's not packaged like everybody else on the radio, right. then they go, oh, it doesn't quite fit our format. Right, which, which is, is what, what we've been want, told. By right. the way, because you don't want to sound like everybody. You can listen to some of the pop radio stations. You're going from song to song to song to song, and it's the same compression. It's the same EQing. Mm-hmm. It's same auto tune settings. For ra- yeah, totally. It's packaged for radio, and it's it a fits, different but game. You can't yeah. tell the difference. Right. I mean, it's very difficult, but... Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's something that I had to put it in that perspective along the way. At first, it was like, what do you mean? Give it a chance, <laughs> you know? Like, just play it. Um, but then I realized, like, maybe I don't want to... Necessarily. Maybe, I, maybe it's not the best company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Strike so, out on your own. Yeah, yeah. so... Um, well, let's, let's, let's circle around towards to, to the touring and the live shows and the, and the festivals and your experience, like... I don't know the answer to this. The Odd Future uh, tour a lot? 
we we toured a lot for like two years. Did you? One a, a year or two, yeah. Like regular, kind of like you've done with the internet where it's, or has the internet been a lot more? Well, we've been, t me and my band, we've been touring a lot longer. Um, Odd Future, we were only, we were only able to stay together as a tour entity for like two years. And that ended in um, 20, About 2012. 10, 2012. Yeah. But you did a reunion in uh, Wembley, right? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. We kind of did that. Um, I mean, like a one-off. Right. It was a, they, it was a opening. Basically, I think it was really a Tyler show. Was it? I think because we were opening for Eminem. Mm -hmm. And um, but I'm pretty sure it was a Tyler thing, but they wanted to bring the whole squad back together. Um, at this time, by this time, I had already quit DJing. Um, my brother was DJing for them, and so they decided to put us up. We had two DJ setups, and really? so we would just go back, and, back forth. and forth. Um, but it was really cool. Uh, it was cool to 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 say that we did it, mm -hmm. and, and it was cool to to. Yeah, to be on stage at Wembley. Um, so going from this kid at 14 learning how to engineer to sounds like you fell backwards into working with Tyler, you know, and then all of a sudden you're out touring and you're not only the DJ, but you're also expected to sing when it comes to like the internet and stuff. I mean, you're... Well, um, I never, uh, on Tour Without Future, I just DJed. I didn't have a microphone at all. Um, and then I quit. I quit DJing for Our Future to go tour with the internet, um, which was a whole experience in itself because by the time I quit DJing with Our Future, I was making really good money doing that because we were splitting everything evenly, um, which we didn't, you know, most groups wouldn't do that, <laughs> especially when one person is like the, the biggest in demand, uh, you know, biggest artist in demand. So but when I when I go tour with Kygo, I don't. A lot of the touring. I mean, a lot of the writing. <laughs> I don't um, get split equally. Well, <laughs> no, no, not necessarily. He was a he was behind a lot of the production, but he only wrote his stuff. Oh, so everyone else was, was a rapper. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There was it was five rappers and me. Right. Um, that should be the name of your new album. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, but yeah, um, he he was he, he's always been a very generous guy. That's mm -hmm. why I've always I can never say anything bad about him. That's my friend. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was making good did money. Did you guys grow up together or grew up near each other? Right? Um, nah. Not at all. Nah, he grew up in like uh, Ladera. I don't even know where that is. Um, near the airport. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Ladera Heights. And so, where'd you grow? Midtown, oh, okay. Mid City. Okay. Yeah. So you we didn't. You all the way out to Pally. Yeah. Man. <laughs> I, that's why I couldn't. I couldn't do it. <laughs> By the time I was able to drive, I was driving to, to Hamilton. Hamilton. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is not too far. Yeah, not too far. But um, but yeah, it was. Uh, I was DJing for them. I quit DJing for them to tour with the internet, and and basically had to start over. I went from making like, you know. A lot more money, um, playing to sold out show, sold out crowds everywhere. As Shows the, were selling out country. in like four minutes, mm -hmm. and um, and being in the back, <laughs> you know, like with no microphone. To now, I'm the singer, and 
nobody showed up and <laughs> like we have no money we're sharing beds um which would you like better <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, mean, I like touring with the internet better. I yeah, I was gonna say there's good things like yeah. that. That's like a real community. Yeah, I mean, it was a band that Except I made up of friends. Up. Yeah. Yeah, it was, and even that part was kind of interesting. You know, we would we would do a sold out show in L. A. and then go to like Glasgow, you know, and play for twelve people, mm -hmm. and it was humbling. Um, Did you feel like? you had to go and play that show in Glasgow for 12 people in order to build what you were doing? Or do you feel like, oh wait, sh I should have just stayed? Um, no, I absolutely um, have no regrets on playing that show. One, didn't know that there would only be 12 people there, but <laughs> it was one of those things, you know, you gotta, um, we, we like to say a lot that you can't skip steps. Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and one thing about touring overseas, uh, America is a very unique market. Mm -hmm. Everywhere else, you have to like pay dues. Mm -hmm. You know, like you, you have to pay dues. Um, I remember, I remember a few years ago, I met J. Cole. We were performing at a festival together, I think Bonnaroo, and we um, we met we met him. We were chilling in his like dressing room talking to him and we were getting ready to go um, on another tour to Japan. We were gonna go play some shows in Japan and then Korea and then Australia. And he, I remember he was like, oh dang, I've never been in Japan. Mm -hmm. I was like, what? Like, Wait, why not? Don't you, you know? have fans in Japan? Right, yeah. and I went and I talked to my agent about that. I was like, J. Cole says he's never been to Japan. He was like, a lot of these like American artists honestly Japan is are a different spoiled. Market, though. Um, it's a beautiful market. They still buy CDs. The packaging they, is, is so physical. Yeah. yeah, like they still have a seven-story Tower Records. Yeah, I know. It's a completely <laughs> different thing. It's a different market. And they, they, when I have Japanese students come in, they give me their CD, but they, they want you to take the time. Like they put as much into the packaging as they do into music. And right. it's really cool. Right. But it's a tough market for U.S. acts. It, well, it, it's, unless you work it. No, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very it, musical. They tend to, what I from what I've seen, they tend to really <clears throat> um, put musicality on a pedestal. Mm -hmm. So, like, Thundercat is huge in Japan. You know what I mean? Like, Anderson Pack, huge in Japan. Because they like, uh, honestly, a lot, they like R&B a lot, too. Mm -hmm. You know, pop music and R&B. Um, and so, like... They, they always, I'd been to Japan before with Tyler, because they, you know, we, the Op Future had a big following in Japan as well, but um, it's, it's just, interesting it's to find market. out. It is. And, and anybody, if we go back to the project managers here, if they don't understand how that works over there, they're going to take an act over there, and it, they'll struggle and not understand why. Well, Sony has a Sony Japan, mm -hmm. and a Sony, you know... South America and a Sony, and so they don't really work together. Mm -hmm. There's They're Sony really UK, separate. Sony UK doesn't work with Sony US, and matter of fact, if you if you have Sony UK do something, but Sony US doesn't, Sometimes like, they'll, they get, get, they'll yeah. get mad. Yeah, it's, it, I'm, I'm yeah. in the same system. And I'm, it's like, you guys are the same label, I don't. It's, it's tough, so I signed to Sony in Europe. I signed to, and my deal routes through Sony Germany. Mm. So I get a lot of love in Germany. Right. And, you know, I have top five radio records in Germany. 
and then we try to transfer it to these other countries, and the argument just isn't there yet. Mm. So for me, it's like waiting for essentially building it up in Germany and continuing to build it and going and doing what you said, kind of, I'm going on tour in September there for the first time to do my first headlining tour. Congrats. Thanks, yeah, I'm excited about it. But coming off of kind of similarly, I've been touring with Kygo for the past two years, playing to 40, 50, 60,000 people. Mm-hmm. I get on stage and there's a whole freaking crowd. Right. And now I'm going to, you know, I've sold. On your own. Yeah. Everything you do is electric and amazing when you're with, you know, right. there's people. There's everything. You can and just, then, like, put your hands up and, like, this. <laughs> and then right. you go and there's 12 people and they're like. And I'm going. And I'm you going have to right. impress them. But, yeah. you, but you ha- you're right. You have to go and do it. Yeah. And you have to not Earn, skip steps. Yeah. Right. You have to build the market. Now, I'm at a point now where now I'm saying no. Yeah. To those smaller shows in the middle of nowhere Europe and places I've played before. Because there are, you know, my agents, like, you got to open the market. You got to open the market. You can't skip steps. And the beauty is I can go to Glasgow now and play for probably a 1,000 people or something easily. Will those 12 still be there? Yes, they will. <laughs> and that's important. Wearing their T-shirt yeah. from that show. Yeah. Was, yep. I was at your first show here. Yeah, it, I get that a lot. You I know? remember you. Yes. You were number eight. <laughs> right. So, um, you know, it, it's now I'm getting to the point where, for me, performing, um, I, I'm burnt out for one, and it has to be really special for me to want to get out of bed and get on stage. So now we've we been feel turning. honored you're here. <laughs> <laughs> well, on stage, I like t- talking and stuff, but um, now I'm at the point where we turn down m- almost everything, especially if it's a market that we've opened before, but they don't want to offer us any more money to come mm-hmm. I just won't go I've been I've been there four times right I don't, it's, you don't need the travel you don't need the miles ball. right yeah so where does that energy go does it go into the music does it go into other projects um it, it pretty much goes into like my um peace of mind <laughs> yeah. you know it's nice to sleep to in. sleep in and be able to like you know plan something th- you know next week and like over the past three years my my schedule yeah has been planned out for like six to eight months in advance because mm-hmm. a lot of these shows you know yeah. they book so far in advance you might book a show eight months from now for a hundred thousand dollars and eight months from now you could actually ask for 150 and now you don't want to do the the show for a hundred thousand anymore sure um or you're just like i don't feel like it anymore like i I did this six months ago. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I don't I feel like new and fresh. And yeah, different. I don't feel like it anymore. So um, I don't know. I just I've been touring a lot over the past few years, on and off, and well, and I need a break. Well, you've been for almost ten years, right? Uh, Between Odd Future and the Internet. Yeah. Well, not almost. quite. Maybe eight years. Yeah, like eight. Yeah. So I'm at the very beginning of essentially, hopefully, your story. Um, <laughs> So when you found yourself in those moments where you go, I just don't want to get up today, I just don't want to do this, how do you how do you convince yourself that this is fresh? I mean, is it just one of those things that when you step on stage? Because that's how it is for me. Yeah. Anytime I have a show day, I'm actually depressed up until the show. I'm really anxious, yeah. Yeah. I, I, mine is, mine... Like I shit like five been, times that day, it's yeah. a problem. It's like, I feel like I've had so much caffeine. Yeah. Um, I, 
for me, it's all about... Did it always feel that way? Yeah. From day one? Yeah. It used to be worse. Yeah. Um, I was... First of all, I've always... Did you ever love it? Did you ever get off stage and go, man, that was awesome? Yeah. Okay. There have been a few of those. Okay. Um, but I've always gone into performing from an unexperienced state. You know, like when I got up, when I was touring as a DJ, I taught myself how to DJ two months before my first tour. Mm -hmm. Taught myself, <laughs> like on YouTube. Um, so a lot of my anxiety came from, fuck, I don't know what I'm doing, honestly. And, and this wasn't small. I mean, you were going into big crowds from day one. Um, in the beginning, it was like 300 cap rooms. It's still, and I mean, then the next tour was seven to a thousand, 700 to a thousand cap rooms. That's and the then, thing I can't comprehend. Because I'm, again, at the beginning of that, and that's what I'm doing. And I see that journey, and I see people doing that, but I'm like, how in the world do you get from 300 to 500 to 1,000? Like, does it just happen? Is there something that you feel like you did or that the crew did that generated that type of buzz and that type of momentum forward? It's, it's ultimately a mind map. As you, as, you, as you talk about that, I want you to talk about your feelings of watching it grow, the anxieties and other things. Um, well... It's ultimately a mind map. Um, so, uh, say I, you know, I w a long time ago was on the cover of LA Weekly. I'm sure that helped sell some tickets for our first LA show. Mm -hmm. um, I do do a campaign for, I don't know, Subi in Australia. Now my picture's all over like the general pants stores in Australia. We do Laneway Festival, and right right when that campaign drops, and so now people are seeing us at the festival, and then they go to the mall and see us in the store, mm -hmm. and so next time we're in town, they'll hear about it. Mm -hmm. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Um, it's all those little things that you do. You do an interview mm -hmm. in this magazine, and so-and-so heard about it, and then the next week they heard your song, pop up and they say, who is this? Oh, wow, I just read it. I just saw them in right. a magazine, Let blah, blah, blah. Me, da, da, da. Oh, Let me they're put in... it on my Apple Music. Yeah. It's, you know, and a lot of it's word of mouth. Um, you, you, do a, you do a show, somebody's in the audience and they put it on their story or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh my God, this show is so amazing. They got my life tonight. And now they're friends. They want to come back and see it. They might yeah. want to go see it. They, you know, they might hear the, hear whatever's playing and be like, that sounds pretty cool. What is that? You know, it's all those little things so, that kind of so Odd Future was on a label. So we were. Oh, but you were. We when we first started touring, we our first tour probably lasted like a week, and we weren't signed. And then we and then we signed a deal, and then we started going on tour. But our deal was never three sixty, so the label had nothing, nothing to, do to do with, with our tour. touring. So how did all this happen? All, all without a label, all this growth and all this. Connection shock value. Our future? Yeah. Shock value. Really? Yeah. And culture. I mean, I feel like that was the crazy thing about what you did. You created and tapped into a culture that... Yeah, I mean, um, I think Tyler spoke for a group of kids who didn't have um, a, a leader mm -hmm. Yeah, at the time. And, um, and I think it was polarizing. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So... Um, you either hated it or you loved it. Mm -hmm. Which is great. Right. Right? Music, 
people who worry about people not liking them, artists that worry about that, it's like, that's not, you're in the wrong business. Yeah, it's not. It's meant to be divisive. Shouldn't. Yeah, it's meant to be, like, it's meant to make you feel something. Right. Whether it be good or bad. Um, and so with Odd Future, there was a lot of shock value involved. Tyler was wearing a ski mask and talking about t crazy shit and uh, ate a cockroach in a music video and stuff like that. You know, like it was a lot of like jackassery. Mm -hmm. um, Which is about the time jackass was popular exactly. too. Exactly. Yeah. And so we tapped into that yeah. audience as well. If only I filmed myself eating that cockroach a couple years ago, I'd be huge. <laughs> Except it was in a pie I'd order at the restaurant. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> no, he, um, we tapped into that and, and, and it, and it, and it started buzzing on its own, but this was also a time when blogs really were gatekeepers. Mm -hmm. So I had started sending press releases before we had a manager, before we had PR or anything. I had started sending press releases to all the blogs um, whenever we dropped a new album and um, they started posting about them. And the next thing you know, uh, my manager, my current manager, he was working at Interscope at the time. He's reaching out, playing Pat's reaching out. All, all these famous managers are reaching out, um, and they have my. Most of them have my email because I'm the PR person, also. Um, and it just which is flipped. a great, which yeah. is a great testament to if you want something Do it done, yourself. because <laughs> you know I fight that all the time. Where it's I've like I've been going through that for a long time. Yeah. Not the PR issue in general, but I'm a I'm a jack of all trades. So with the internet, are you did were you still in the driver's seat in terms of marketing and propelling the brand forward, or yeah, you just yeah. So I, my partner in the internet is my best friend Matt, and he's um he's more visually artistic than I am. So typically he'll take over. He'll handle like all the flyers and the stuff like that. I built the website. I um I I don't know. I do, a lot of the idea work um comes from from me. But it sounds like a lot of the manifestation of the idea work also comes from you, which is probably why it feels so authentic is because there's, you know, it doesn't get translated through a web designer or translated through someone yeah. else doing the mix or tra it's There's no like, lost in translation here. yeah well I, I I do do a lot myself I engineer myself um, I co-mix you, you still produce everything at home uh, I I don't produce I on my like for instance on my solo album I only produce three songs out of the 12 on there well somebody else is producing it huh I got I've worked with a bunch of really awesome producers on on that album. And on the internet albums, my band produces it. So I want to circle back around to the human part of this. Mm. Like you're sitting there being in charge, like an odd future and the internet, pushing the word out, getting this out, watching the crowds go, which is feeding into your anxiety. Like you're the reason you're anxious. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes and no. Um, the beauty of like the odd future situation and why I felt so comfortable with and confident about leaving Mm -hmm. was because I knew that I was not the driving force in that. But once I left, everybody split. Well, I don't mean that. I mean the, the PR driving force. You're, you're oh. part of that. You're part of the reason the crowd kept growing. Part of the reason. Yeah. And the crowd's growing is part of the reason that you're feeling like, I don't know if I want to do this. 
Um, I don't, I don't know if it was, I don't know if it was the crowd growth that made me anxious. It was more so that I felt like I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I felt like, damn, okay, my number's been called, and I don't know what I'm doing. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, I, like I said, I, I was, I had only been DJing for two months by the time I went on my first tour as a DJ, and, and it was a big. How does it feel to go from DJing to singing, as far as that goes? I mean, DJing is stressing you out. Singing is very, m even way more worse. stressful. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't think it could get worse, but it, yeah. <laughs> Well, look, going back, you're, here you are going to Hamilton. You obviously got the bug for music, right? And here's Before there. I went to Hamilton because I got the bug at Pali. Right, right, right. Because there was no music classes right. at Pali. And I was like, dang. I want some music. So you do this, and you could have never predicted your life would have turned out how it turns out. I mean, nobody can. Yeah, um, I knew I'd be here. I just didn't know I'd be a singer. Well, <laughs> but, but even though you, you can manifest that, you sit back and go, I'm going to manifest my future, you know, there's a lot of people who've been manifesting the future that have never reached the level. Why? Why are you a singer? Was it just necessity? Was it a feeling that you had where you're like, mm, I need to articulate it myself? Just uh, like, just what? like the other things, like this is not lost in translation when it's coming out of my mouth. Yeah, I think you know, uh, I wrote a, my first song I ever wrote. I was 16, and I had my studio, and I was friends with some singers, and I. I asked one of my female friends to come sing the song for me. She is an amazing singer. Um, but yeah, I didn't I didn't like her delivery of it. I was like, you know what, I actually like my version better. That's that's really weird. And my version was super auto-tuned because like I was 16. I really couldn't sing. I just have a pretty voice. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? So I knew, okay, if I like do this take enough times and I You'll tune it, it right, like it'll sound pretty. That's mm -hmm. all I want. Um, and that's when I realized, okay, um, delivery counts for a lot. And mm -hmm. then delivery counts for everything. Yeah. And then my first album with the internet, my, our first internet album, it was actually before we were a band. So it was just me and Matt, me and my best friend. We produced and wrote all the songs together, and and we we got as many singers as we could to sing my songs, but we didn't know enough. We yeah. wanted every. We wanted. Every, I didn't. I wasn't supposed to sing on any of that album. Oh wow! Okay. I wrote that album to because like, you know we looking were trying to DJ be like perspective. looking at it from a Neptune's perspective. Got it. We were okay. like huge. We're still are huge Neptune's fans, and we were trying to basically make our own version of the Clones album, mm -hmm. where you know Pharrell and Chad produced everything, and every song is a different feature. Mm -hmm. um, and they they wrote all the like song all the singing songs they wrote themselves, but they got a singer to come sing it, and that's what we were going for. But yeah, I just we just didn't pull so, it together in time. So is that still exciting to you? Is that still something that in your head you feel like you have to manifest at some point, or are you kind of past that now and you go no 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 I'm this is my that. identity I'm a singer I'm gonna I'm doing it. I still don't identify a, as a singer. Yeah. Um, but we're working I, on that. <laughs> We've been working on it. I, I, I like to identify as an artist. Mm -hmm. um, but that's more important, by the way. Uh, honestly, even yeah. from a voice coach point of view, I don't singers want to produce singers. Yeah. I want to produce artists. artists. Yeah. Right. Who can, singing is part of the way of, of expression, but right. expression is the goal. Right. Right. Connecting with people and saying things that makes them feel. Well, singers right. don't work anymore. I mean, there are, you know, in, in my opinion, 
You see, there are a couple well, of fantastic artists out there that are incredible voices mm-hmm. and incredible singers, but to just be an incredible singer doesn't really doesn't translate, translate anymore. It doesn't translate to long term. It, there's a no, I, I just I don't think it but. translates. Like it used to translate as, oh, if you're a fantastic singer, you can be an artist, and that's right. You I'm know. just right, saying, it right. can still happen I don't in think a flash in a pan. So well, you'll get a a singer who can sing really well, and they happen to strike a song. And it's a flash in the pan. And it's a one-off, but sure. long term, I'm totally on board. Like being an artist is the long. It's a whole different goal. Yeah. I mean, it's a, yeah. it, that's where your roots are, long term, right? If we talk about yeah. anybody who's stood the test of time, we talk about Lionel Richie, mm-hmm. right? Just mm-hmm. did the Hollywood Bowl or whatever. Like, right. That's not just a singer, right? And I think it comes from self-sufficiency. You know, I think the difference between artists and singers is an artist can create something from scratch. Mm-hmm. themselves you know they might like to collaborate with people or you know work with someone on a lot of it but um, they have a lot more control than a singer a singer is at the mercy of the songwriters mm-hmm. and the producers unless, yeah, unless you learn to write right um, and a lot of singers don't want to don't want to write and I get that like I have a friend who um, is a is a really great singer and a dancer and I remember, like, she, she wants to be an artist, but she's, you know, had a long, you know, had a hard time trying to get the confidence and get up on her feet enough to, like, commit to making, making a project or something. And just, yeah, and failing. Yeah, failing. And, well, and even failing. if you And even if you do, I think it's just, it's such a saturated market. It is. And, and it's that's, hard And to that goes through. back to, like, back in the day you could get discovered Mm-hmm. And blow mm-hmm. up, and now By there's being a two. Singer. Right now, everyone can sing. Well, the right? problem is, we're going to go back to where we started a little bit. There used to be gatekeepers. Now right. there's no gatekeepers. You can just put your stuff on YouTube or SoundCloud or, mm-hmm. or Spotify or whatever. People discover you, mm-hmm. and that's why there's so much out there. There's and just there, so there much. still are gatekeepers in the sense that the bloggers and things. Right, because you know well, the somebody and the money and the you know. Yeah, I mean well, it's all about exposure. It's all but, about exposure. But what we were saying before is like, you know, if you, you don't need a label, if you, you don't. got the fan you base, you don't need a label. If you got the fan base, and if you know right. how to build that, because of, like, you know, different people I know out there doing this, like, I've, I've, they're offered deals, and I know a handful of them that have turned them down. This so is like, mm-hmm. why sharing this? I'm doing great. I may never mm-hmm. be the biggest name internationally. But I'm making a really good living. Mm-hmm. I'm doing, you know, two or three hundred thousand a month in, in music sales and merch sales and everything. Why would I share it? Right. Why? why mm-hmm. I don't need you. And then plus you'd have somebody on top of you telling you whether that's going to go out or not. Right. Right. So right. you're in complete control. Yeah. No. Well, I'm, I'm, we're trying to. We're, we're we're planning. Ultimately, the the labels they can give you some money. I think it's I think it's twofold actually. I think the labels give you money, and then the majority, if you want to play the radio game, then being signed to a label I think you is have very to. effective. Yeah, you have to. However, there are those who have played it and won without labels. There, there are more who have played it and lost. You know what I mean? Because my yeah. situation, right? We've tried to go to radio, and the radio programmers won. The label has to spend money on radio, so payola mm-hmm. still exists. They just mm-hmm. legalized it in, in a certain way, in, 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 in a gatekeeper way. kind yeah. of way, mm-hmm. you know. So there's that where it's like you need money to to go mm-hmm. to radio, and if the label doesn't want to open that budget for you, 
whether it's because they don't have enough incentive, you know, the, uh, you're not on a 360, like, what do they care? They're like, honestly, and the, or better yet, we'll wait till you blow up, and then we'll, mm-hmm. and then we'll. Well, it's all about arguments, right? If it. if you have a hundred million streams on something in three weeks, right. they're gonna go, oh shit. Or or if you get nominated for an award or right. a big award that no one expected you to get nominated for, right. that's what what it was for us, the Grammy thing. No one expected that. Yeah. <laughs> like we didn't even know we were submitted for it, and and the label for sure did. Like our manager was the one who insisted, like let's submit this for the Grammys and he didn't tell us because he didn't want us to think about it. Get up mm-hmm. and worked up about yeah, it. Yeah, <clears throat> and then, you know, that was one of those things where nobody expected it. Um, but yeah, the lab- the labels are, they're not, it's not an integrity-based situation well, with record labels. So uh, you they're know, trying to, they're trying to make it. With, with a label, imagine buying a house and you go to the bank and the bank goes, we'll loan you money. It's, I mean, it's an expensive Loan, it's like 60% loan, but that's fine, we'll loan you money. You've spent 30 years paying off the loan and they still own the house. We'll let right. you live there, but right. we own the house. Right. It's a label deal. It's, it's, I mean, it's, they still own so the facets. They can be. There's so many facets of it. I mean, I'm, gonna, I'm grateful to, to be able to say I own my master's. <laughs> well, and <laughs> that's the difference. It's rare. That's the difference. <laughs> you get to walk away with your master's. Well, you pay off the house and you keep it. But, right. but that's the, you know, I'm in a similar situation where I was like, I'm not I'm not going to sell the master's. No. You know. Right. So I'm in a... a and and, and I think... That, you guys understand that's an exception to the rule. Well, I that, think now it's, it's becoming it's more, more, and more. more and more because the labels realize that their power is less and less. Right. And, you know, it used to be... That was it. That was, that it. was the only this way. The deal. And now it's not the only way. But I think whether you're on a label or you're off a label, the amount of people who try and fail and try and fail and try and fail is always going to outweigh the people who are able to break through. Well, no and, and it's and it's less about failing and more about like stopping. Mm-hmm. You know, because how much, like I know of a lot of artists who tried for like. And just kind of four years, and then they stopped. Yeah, I know a lot of artists who tried for ten years, and now they're popping. Right. Anderson Pack, for instance, Anderson Pack opened for me like one of our first LA shows mm-hmm. at Low End Theory at the Airliner downtown. He opened for me. I didn't even know who he was. I thought Anderson was the bass player at the time. You feel me? Like I didn't even know. And, and yeah. fast forward almost ten years, and he's. Doing the form. Stay in it, stay in it, stay in it. He stay just in kept it. going. Yeah. He reinvented himself, blah, blah, blah. Same with 2 Chains. Mm-hmm. 2 Chains was a rapper. 2 Chains' name was Titty Boy before he changed it to 2 Chains. And he was popping in it. Like on some yeah. mixtape ta- mix right. level, he was popping. But he reinvented himself. Yeah. And through his connections that he had made as Titty Boy through the mixtape game in Atlanta, he was able to come out really strong when he when he finally did reinvent himself. He got into a good situation with someone who and you believed learn, in him. Right? Yeah, because yeah. that's what Anderson, like Anderson got with Dr. Dre. Dr. Dre believes in him mm-hmm. and will will give him the resources. And mm-hmm. Anderson's willing to do the work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's one guy I know like has been on tour more than me. You know what I mean? Right. Like everybody is always looking at me like, you've been on tour forever. I'm like, I always think of Anderson. Look at Anderson the drummer. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> he's singing, he's drumming, he's dancing. Like, he's got all kinds of stuff Clearly, this is what on. he wants to do. Right. And, and he just didn't stop. Right. 
and it paid off. Yep. So I think, you know, it comes down to like, you know, I try to tell a lot of my, my friends, my artist friends who, you know, want more success. I, I always like to ask them like, well, would you do this regardless? Mm-hmm. You know, is Even this if like, it wasn't money. Yeah, is it something that you love to do? Like, would you do it anyway? Then do it. Yep. Then do it anyway. You know, mm-hmm. like don't don't feel like you have to give up or keep going. It's not mm-hmm. it's not like it's not that black and white. You know, that's the beauty of it though. Is you know, everybody's journey is going to be different and and a successful artist could mean so many different things in today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. It is much more varied, much more wide. For sure. Um, I think my computer went dead. Um so, uh, if I mean, I, I'm still kind of fascinated with your journey. Clearly, I keep coming back to this. Like, you know, you, we all do the best we can to plan out our. Um, that's why it's loud. Um, to plan out where we want to be in life, and then all of a sudden, you're where you want to be in life, and um, it's not what you thought it was going to be, <laughs> right? Yeah, I, mean, I don't, not, not I don't think it ever is. Well, this might be true. And you've done this pivot. You've basically made a pivot going, like, most people are, are like, if I could have only had the trajectory of Sid's career, and then she's out there going, eh, I'm going to pivot. Right? <laughs> yeah. Which well, is knowing yourself, for one. But what advice do you have? I, for, I, two pieces. One, what advice do you have about the pivoting process? And two, what advice do you have about people who might end up going through some of the stuff that you've gone through, you know, with touring and, and you know, whether it's the DJing or singing and feeling anxious and, because, um, you know, clearly you're not the only one. There's some very famous singers who don't tour because they hate touring. They just, they like studio work, but they don't want to be out in front of people and it makes them nervous. They've just never gotten over stage fright or whatever it is. Whatever it is. Um, I mean, as far as advice goes, uh, I guess the I guess my my first piece of advice would be to really figure out what you actually want. You know, I think I spent years just going with the motions, not really understanding clearly what my goal was. Um, and also, just you know, you have to try things to see if you like it. You know, I I, I realized I don't like doing uh, photo shoots for magazine covers. I just don't. So I don't want to be on your magazine cover. You know what I mean? The first couple times was fun, and then it turned... It was never fun. It was never fun. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, this is, I, I realize also that I'm a control freak, so one thing that I need out of any situation that I'm going to put my name and my face on is a level of control. I just need approval rights. And mm-hmm. magazines don't really give you approval rights, right. typically, over, like, the cover. Interviews or anything. It's just, like, wait till it comes out. Yeah. You know, so I realized I don't like doing that. But it took me having to try it three or four times to realize, okay, it's not just that magazine. Mm-hmm. It's all of them. I don't really want to, I don't really like being on magazine covers. Mm-hmm. Do you like being famous? Mm, Do you consider yourself perks. famous? No. Well, but you are. Uh, to some people. Right. To a large swath of people. Right. To people who like me. Yeah. <laughs> You're famous to us. We like you. <laughs> right. but, but fame is a double-edged sword. You need fame for this business, and it can also be a real... It can be annoying. annoying. I mean, it's definitely... Um, 
it's there's perks. It's bittersweet. Like for instance, what are the perks? For instance, I went to a, a show in New York um, like a week ago. I was in New York. Um, my girlfriend's friends with this artist uh, named Rex Life Raj, and uh, so there was this like showcase happening at this venue in New York called SOBs, and I've performed oh, there I love before. SOBs. Yeah, I performed there. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I did it some years ago, and um, and we just went like we were on the list because you know she's friends with the dude, but um, it was it was chill. Like I walked in there, I'm chilling, and and. I, there are some people who, who knew who I was and I could tell, whatever. Um, but a woman who worked at the venue actually came up to me and was like, hey, you're back, like, what's good? Like, you need anything, you want to drink? You want this VIP section? We got a whole VIP section. So that's like, right. those are the perks. I got free drinks, I got in this little section. And I'm in there wearing basketball shorts and a t-shirt. I'm really chilling, you know? Like, I didn't go for that kind of vibe. I didn't tell anyone I was pulling up, but those are like the perks. And then on the flip side, there's times like, for instance, when I flew home from New York um, about a week ago, uh, my flight was delayed super crazy. I didn't end up landing till like 3.30 in the morning. And I slept on the flight, but I woke up hella groggy and like ready to go back to sleep. And so just not in the mood to, People to see anybody it, yeah. or you know and right. and I get outside I'm waiting for my dad to pull up I got these headphones on and I'm listening to music and I, I find my dad I'm walking over with my luggage cart I got like three bags because I'm helping my girlfriend move so I got hella shit I'm just like trying to get to the car get in the car go home and I walk past this guy who was also waiting for a ride he was like excuse me excuse me and I heard him but and I, I heard him but I acted like I didn't I had my headphones on I'm like okay that's a good enough excuse I'm gonna keep walking because I don't I can, feel I like can get it. away with this one yeah I don't feel yeah. like it you know what I mean and, and I and I do that from time to time when I'm just and like did he go push it further or just yeah he followed me <laughs> to the car right which is like he's thinking the same thing he's like oh she didn't hear me right and yeah. she and I she owes me this because mm-hmm. you know this is or, who she's and I don't think he was thinking about it that way so he, cause he, you know, he he followed me to the car, like helped I, you with I, your bags. <laughs> he didn't he didn't help me with my bags? But all right, fine, that guy's out. <laughs> he followed me to the car. I still got my headphones on. I give my dad a hug. He feel me. The trunk's open. I'm going to get the first bag, and he's standing at my luggage cart. Like, excuse me, like right here. And at this point, I'm like, okay, now I can't act like I don't right. hear him or see him. So I just was like. And he's like, um, I just wanted to say, like, you know, I love your music. I was like, thank you. And I like, I was really trying to like, be nice. But sometimes it's not that like when you're just not in the mood. Mm-hmm. Most people have the luxury of like nobody's not being random. In the mood. Yeah, most like you don't have to speak to strangers as often as I do. Right. Um. And and I just I was trying my best to like smile or something but I just was not in a smiling mood yeah and I and I saw his face was just kind of like he was kind of scared and he said you know he was like I was at your first show here in LA at the Echo like six years ago and I was like oh thank you you know and then I was like okay damn it like I gotta snap out of it yeah I gotta snap out for for a second but it's hard and it's the same with performing like the the last tour I did um was 
the worst tour I've ever had to do, and not from my team or the place I was at perspective. I was actually in Brazil and I fell in love with Brazil, but I was just really going through a really depressed time. And to have to like stop crying to go to the venue and do the show was a lot. <laughs> it's hard. And Brazil is even more so kind of that attention. Where, we like, had never those... been there before. Okay. Um, and they were kind of big Because those fans are crazier in Brazil and... and they're, they're awesome. Yeah. I mean, it, it was definitely, like, they were really excited to see us. We had never performed there before. You know, we're a, one of very few black bands. So that I think they connected with us on the, the you know, people of color level. Um, and they knew all the words. Like, that... Probably my, like, honestly, one of my favorite couple of shows Yeah. was Rio uh, and Sao Paulo. And it was yeah. juxtaposed to just feeling depressed. Man, if I, when I wasn't in the Where? show, just, just under the covers. Yeah. You know, but, it, and it was hard. Is there know? is there a relationship between the ups and downs of depression and the music you write and produce? Um, ironically, I don't really, uh, I don't like to write when I'm sad. Mm. So, I know a lot of artists who, you know, they Dive need... Dive into that. Yeah, they, they kind of need to express that some kind of way. I don't express sadness through music. I, I like to... Music for me is more about healing. Mm. <laughs> uh, so, I've done a couple of songs where I've addressed, like, the whole, you know... Depression, mm -hmm. but but that's not from, generally where you go. Yeah, outlet on that. Right. So I'm circling back to that question. Like, what advice do you have for young singers, and maybe not even young singers? Maybe there's experienced singers out there listening to this. That, what do I do with these feelings of anxiety and stage fright? And you know, do you have advice around that? I mean, around, you know, I'm trying to figure it out too. I know, and since you're going down that path, you've probably got bits of of advice it's starting to pop up. Well, I guess that that would it would go back to like figure out what exactly you really want to do. What do you really want? You know what I mean? I realized on that tour in South America, I never wanted to be a performer. I just it it presented itself as an opportunity and I took it. You know, it was never something that I was like Man, I can't wait to perform at the the Grammys. I want to perform at Lollapalooza. Like I never I, that was those were never goals of mine. Um, it was just to produce good music. Just producing and writing, mm -hmm. you know. Maybe be in a video every so often. <laughs> but I, a cockroach, you know. <laughs> I, I would never. But yeah. like, but that that was my my goal was just to be behind the scenes. Yeah, and you're finding you're starting to settle and be comfortable with the idea of that as your future. Yeah, I mean, I'm realizing that there's way more um, control being an artist, you know? Like, I, when I, I, I used to be signed to Sony ATV, and before I left them, <laughs> I uh, had them put me in a bunch of, like, writing camp sessions for, like, different rappers and blah, blah, blah. And I remember being, you know, my first couple sessions, meeting all these other songwriters who were looking at me like, what are you doing here? You know, people I writers I never met, and writers with big songs too. Well, why would they be saying that? 
Because they're like, you're an artist. Apparently, yeah. most of them wanted to be artists. Yeah. Yeah, it's just anti the path that they... Well, it's yeah. I mean, it's it's t- and and no one thinks of you that way because it's their goal. So right. Like, well, you you got my goal. So why are you coming trying? Why to are you backing up? Right. They felt like I was kind of stepping down. And me, I'm like, no, I want I want to do what you guys do. Like, what you guys do is a step up for me because if I can be anonymous and still make money. my money <laughs> and write good songs, but then from doing that, I realized, oh, okay, you know. Sometimes you write a song for somebody and they they f- either flip it and do something with it that you don't like. It's so it's so much harder, I right? think. It's so much harder <laughs> to make the money. It's so much harder to have any sort of control over what's going to happen and it's how it's really going to happen. It's really very, very yeah. little control in, in it. And so I've been encouraging all my producer friends, all my songwriter friends to make their own music just to, just, just to experience that level of control because there's something so empowering about it. And it's not as easy to necessarily make money um, when you're starting from the ground up as an artist. You know what I mean? But it, it's 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 worth it. Mm-hmm. Like the you know this money and stuff is cool. Like it's nice to be able to eat, but like <laughs> like ultimately you want to do stuff. There has to be a balance, like. right? I mean, you talk about the you know the the money that comes in from shows and all this sort of stuff, and even talking about oh, I'll do a show for 150 now, but I not for a hundred and it's not about money Mm-mm. right it's and that's not. the weird thing for somebody outside of this conversation to maybe understand is just because we put numbers on this mm-hmm. we're not saying that because this is all about money we're saying that because you have to give up a certain amount of yourself mm-hmm. and you're trying to justify that with some sort of weird thing that goes in your bank account some sort right. of weird something well, the, that the they life say, of an artist is so much more different having now now doing the artist path, which was my goal and my dream. I did, I was that kid who was like, I want to perform at the Grammys. Um, That's dope. But being that person, being a writer, I mean, I started realizing when I kind of accepted that that was going to be my path for the time that it was, it's a way easier lifestyle. I mean, you have to worry about a lot less. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, you get up, you go to the gym or do whatever you're going to do. You show up at one, you leave at eight, maybe right. you have a second session that day. Right. You go home, you have a bottle of wine, you go to bed or do whatever right. you're going to do. And you it's, chase a couple checks here and there, but yeah. otherwise you wait for the back end. Mm-hmm. And There's not just, much to think about. Right, and that's that's what I guess I was looking at. And I'm looking at art like like uh, people like James Fauntleroy who, mm-hmm. you know, um, top of their game songwriters. You know what I mean? Like, top of their game just music is creators. able to kind of sit back and and write at his leisure, mm-hmm. and also is an artist and all, but doesn't sell his music because he doesn't have to. Mm-hmm. You know, so he's like for me like have the perfect example. Sing? Oh yeah, he's he wrote a song for really me before. Good. It's on, James my, is really it's on my third album. Yeah. He's amazing. Yeah. Um, and I've been meaning to. Uh, I, I, I'm supposed to go see him too before I go back to New York, but. Um, he for me is the ideal situation. He's mm-hmm. writing fire songs mm-hmm. for like oh. amazing artists, amazing singers. He's making his own music mm-hmm. on his terms. On his terms, he can drop it on SoundCloud. He can do a show if he wants to, but he doesn't have to. Mm-hmm. He opened a goddamn music school, yep. mm-hmm. you know, in Inglewood. Like that's the ideal situation. He's 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 been a millionaire since he was like. 24 or something crazy and he's just you he's know a, he's such an interesting guy he's such an interesting guy I remember going to his studio 
um, and there was a sign in the studio, and I think it said like uh, one song a day maximum or something. Wow, interesting. And I thought okay. that was so cool. That's so when I got there, he was like making beats on Ableton or whatever, taking like little meetings. He has hella assistants. He was taking meetings and stuff here and there, talking about random shit. Didn't know what was going on. We were just waiting. And then he took us into the studio and, and like just, we gave him the beat. We told him what, you know, what we were thinking the song would be about. And he just wrote the fucking song. I thought we were going to write together maybe, but he just went in the booth oh, and wow. he didn't come out until the song was done. He's I wrote crazy. the bridge later because yeah. he had written two verses and a chorus. I don't think he lives on this planet. No, he's a space cadet, and 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 one he's, of the things he brought up to us when we first got in there was um, the alpha state. Mm -hmm. He's he's he talks about the alpha state a lot, and that's why he smokes so much weed. Right, and I hired him <laughs> for a writer retreat, and uh, literally for breakfast, you know, he's starting with blunts at breakfast. Oh um, yeah, which I also do for other reasons. <laughs> so wait, I so what sat is, around the pool and thought they were blunts and shared one with him. Oh, <laughs> what is what is uh, alpha state? For those the alpha know, state is like is me. is basically the state that you reach when you're. It's kind of delirium. Just right before you go to sleep. Right, right before when you, you get up, sleepy. Or when you're high. Or enough. when you're super high. Got it. Okay. That point where you just don't care anymore. I think that's what it really and it just comes is down like, to. And he's just you're just delirious. Channeling. You don't give a fuck. You're just like ah. Oh, Great idea, fuck it. You know, throw it in there. Is you it? Know, his first hit was Nowhere, and that yeah. was about Martians. Right. So, is right. it the he idea? He writes a lot of songs about Martians. Yeah. Is it the he idea wrote a that. song for Justin Bieber about aliens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is it the idea that in that state, because this is what I struggle with a lot as a songwriter, is the ability to trust and think, oh, that's good enough when it comes out? Is the idea of the alpha state that it's actually not that you're able to tap into it, but you're actually able to just trust? That's what it's supposed to be. That's the I raw. Think I would I would assume it's about letting go. Yeah. Yeah. Not controlling. Yeah, letting go of like control and just saying fuck it. But another thing that that I've heard him say before in an interview, it was actually Pensado's place. Um, this podcast he, yeah, he went I, on I and love that one. Yeah. I stole I, some of it. Yeah. yeah, he did an interview <laughs> on there a few years ago, and he said. You know, they were asking, like, how do you write songs so fast? Like, people say you write songs really fast. Like, how are you able to do that? He was like, I, I don't care. <laughs> if it sucks, like, I'll just write another song tomorrow. Well, that, he doesn't feel the time pressure. It's not a race. He's not trying to be fast. He's just letting it flow, right? Right. And then, then it just, you right. get all of that conscious barriers out of the way, and all of a sudden stuff starts coming out. And I'm telling you it's only from theory no i mean you it, guys are, I, I can i can co-sign because what i've realized about myself over the years is that my first idea is usually my best mm -hmm. so what i tend to do when i'm writing nowadays is um like i won't sing anything you know I, you know you do writing sessions the producer plays the beat and the singers are like like they just start singing stuff and nothing's happening i won't i'll wait till um I I'll, I won't sing anything until I'm recording. And not have, in the booth. Like, I use my voice memos a lot, yeah. but, like, I have to record my the first melody that comes to mind. Yeah. comes out of my mouth has to get has to go down because I won't remember it. Right. But I'll it never remember it, but it's going to be the best, the best idea. Yeah. I'm more and more like that these days. I used to be more like that person in the room who's like, if nothing's happening, it was like, wait. Yeah. We're here in a session. Something has to happen. I can sing. Let me do it. Right. And now it's like, 
I'm my whole perspective has changed because now it's about me. Right. And as opposed and, to about serving. And it's about the art. Yeah. You know, I think the the one thing you know, one I, I've never been about forcing a song. I've never been good at forcing ideas out. It makes me hate everything. Yeah. So I'll I'd rather not write a song for three months than force myself to write songs for three months. Mm-hmm. You know, because then I'll start hating it. Um, but and and it's art. Like it's a, I I think it's it's really equality over quantity. Mm-hmm. One hundred percent. And then you know once you once you Although, do a few things and get some reassurance, it allows you to go into a writing session and be like, ah, that's not it. This ain't coming together today. Yeah. Let's try again. But maybe. I think for young writers, they're so worried about well, writing you have to learn. a good song. They you have never to learn. write enough. You know, they just got to write some shitty songs. You just got to write some shitty songs. Yeah. Yeah. There's the 10,000 hour thing, I think. Apply. I think oh, what you're talking about and trusting it and knowing, like, that applies post 10,000 hours. Yeah, there is definitely a threshold. When you cross that threshold, you don't need to keep writing shitty songs. But right. until you've written your first hundred shitty songs, you got to keep <laughs> Or a thousand yeah. shitty or songs. Or a thousand. Yeah. Yeah, 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 for sure. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think. Um, I haven't written a thousand songs. No. Mm-mm. I've honestly, I I've most of the songs I've written have been released. I don't hold on to music wow. as okay. that much. Um, when I'm working on an album, I I don't really write forty songs and then narrow it down. I write twelve songs. That's my album. Wow, that's you unusual. Know, which the label yeah. doesn't really understand. <laughs> the A&R don't get it. But yeah. that's that's just how I, I am. I fall in love with a beat. I'm gonna make this beat work. There've been there've also been times like on my solo album there was this one beat that I fell in love with and was adamant about using and I had some of my homies come over to help me write a song to it and we couldn't get it and I was so heartbroken and I waited a, a few months and then I tried again by myself and it just came out and it worked. So and it's on my album it's like one of the biggest songs on my solo album. Which one is it? It's called Body. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, it's like the second biggest song on, on the album. Um, and that's just me. Like, I, I just, <laughs> for me, like, one, as a, as a producer, I feel this intense necessity to do justice to, like, good production, you know, um, without overdoing it. So I take, tend to take a minimalist approach, um, but... I, I don't really overdo it. I don't really like to add unnecessary ad-libs and, vo- and, and backgrounds. Um, I won't, like, I, I'm not the person typically who's writing a, a bunch of shitty songs. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll maybe start writing a song, and if it starts coming out shitty, I'll just stop. Just walk away. <laughs> walk away. And but go or, back but to then it. come back to the beat, possibly. Yeah. Like that other one. Yeah. Like body. Exactly. Interesting. Um... All right, so we need to kind of wrap up here. Um, I just sort of, in a nutshell, one piece of advice from Sid. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it seems like resilience seems to be your thing, but yeah, I mean, uh, like, as far, as far as advice to like be successful, you have to define success for yourself. You know, um, like I, I like I know a lot of people who. I look at their path and, and what they're doing, and I'm like, that wouldn't yeah, be that wouldn't be success for me. But to them, they're mm-hmm. content. Yep. They're happy. You know. So what does that mean for future? What does future Sid's success look like? 
Uh, are, are you painting it? In, are you in the process of painting it, or do yeah. you have an idea? Um, well, I, I, I'm working on some more music. I want to do, you know, I just want to release more music. Ultimately, I think I've, I think I've, I think I've reached a, a level of contentment in my present current day situation. Like, my family's in good health. I got some money to like sit back on, you know. And uh, I'm inspired. I think for me, like, maybe that would be my piece of advice: is is uh, find ins find more inspiration. Wherever that is. Wherever that is, because like a month ago, I didn't want to make another album, because I just wasn't really inspired by anything. But then I got into some, I got into like some more, some some other music, heard some new stuff, and was like, ooh, I love how they did that. I want to do something like that. And now and you're back on. Yeah, now right I'm writing on. again. All right. So. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you coming and chatting with us. I mean, like I yeah. said, I think, I think you're incredibly. Our, our our conversations have all these been super interesting to me. Like you're one of the most human, transparent artists I think I've worked with. <laughs> I mean, it's just here you are, and there's no pretense, and there's no like trying to be something. That may that you're not. I don't know, but it's always <laughs> just felt really like grounded to me. So it's thanks. been yeah. I really appreciate you coming in. And yeah, chatting I with enjoyed this. this talk. Yeah. This was fun. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> it's Justin. Justin's a good interviewer. I just want to mod. You know, I just want to make sure you two don't like kill each other. That's my job. <laughs> just, to, just, <laughs> just to moderate the fight. You know. <laughs> there to kill. No. <laughs> Anyway, thanks for coming in, Justin, as of well. Of course, of course. And, thanks um, for having me. Yeah, uh, special thanks to Blue Microphones and Ultimate Ears for their sponsorship with us. They are super supportive and awesome. Yay. Yeah. Anyway, until next time, thanks, everyone. Word.